Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. It's been a long time since I've been in the book of Genesis. Uh, A while back, I decided we needed a break from it, and so we went into um, the Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Uh, Then I did uh, the Pesumber series of Psalms. Nobody ever laughs at that when I... It's obviously not a funny joke, so I'm just going to have to... Have you ever had a joke that you thought was funny, but nobody else did, so you just have to... You just got to put it away? All right. Genesis chapter 30... um, and we're going to start in verse 25. Now, I, need to, I probably need to give you a bit of a recap here, okay? The beginning of the book of Genesis is all about the creation story and uh, the Tower of Babel and Noah's Ark. And then we come into Abraham and his family in chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we really start to see the focus of the book of Genesis is God is now establishing his plan of salvation, which will go from then until now. Uh, I, I was actually talking to somebody a while back about the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Why would God give us an Old Testament? Why would he give us something that he knew was going to become obsolete and out of date? And I said, no, 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 no. We are the ones that labeled it Old Testament and New Testament. All right? He, okay. He, called, he, he is a step. What? Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I will establish a new covenant. He has established covenants with people all the time. Okay. Yes, I understand. That's why you need to have a retired preacher in your congregation. But everything, every other covenant points to this final covenant with Jesus. So God is starting here with Abraham and Abraham's family to establish a a people, a family first. Uh, People have asked me sometimes, why, why, why are the Jews the chosen people? Why didn't God choose another nation? Why didn't, no, no, no. It's not, it's not that he he saw the Jews and said, I'm going to choose them. He created them. It's a people he created and a people that he was going to bless and they were going to be the conduit for all blessing in the world. And inasmuch as the church is his chosen people too, we're the same thing, the conduit through which God is blessing the world with the gospel message. So Abraham is going to become this huge family. One problem, wife is infertile, cannot have children. And so God takes a, an infertile, post-menopausal, 90-year-old woman and performs quite a miracle. She has a child, this chosen child. His name is Isaac. And then after that, uh, Isaac gets, remarried, gets married to Rebekah. And Rebekah has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is the chosen one. Jacob, it's, it, we, we always say Jacob and Esau, but Esau is really the firstborn. But God chose Jacob. Jacob is the one through whom all of this blessing is going to go. And Esau grows up and shows that he, he really doesn't have any interest in the things of God. Uh, and that is why everything is funneling here now through Jacob. And Jacob will later, in a few chapters later, is going to have his name, maybe just the next chapter, is going to have his name changed to Israel, Israel. And so we call them the children of Israel and the nation of Israel because they're all coming from this guy. And at this point in our story, Jacob, uh, born in, the, in southern Israel, in southern Israel, uh, living in his father's household, um, has an altercation with his brother. I uh, won't go into, into too much detail with that, but he flees because his brother is 
upset with him, to say the least. Got to get out of there. And so he leaves and goes north to a place called Haran or Padan Aram and looks for some relatives up there. Looks for some relatives up there uh, and he can take refuge with them until his brother Esau's anger has subsided. And it's going to take many, many years. It's going to be over a decade that he's up there. And he's, he goes up there, and in, in great patriarchal form, he marries some relatives. Abraham married his half-sister. Isaac married a cousin. Uh, now Jacob is going to marry two cousins. And it's all sort of a mistake. And in, in a very short amount of time, Jacob goes from having no wife to having four. No wife to four in a fairly short amount of time. And then he's going to start having children and uh, his wives are all going to start having children, and he's going to reproduce prolifically. And in about six years, he has 11 children, 12. He has 11 sons and a daughter, 11 sons. He will end up having 12 sons. The 12th and final son will be uh, born later on. But in a matter of about six or seven years, all of a sudden he's gone from no wife, single man, penniless, to married to four women all at the same time. Two of them are sisters, and that causes a lot of problems in a household, just so you know. And he has children by four different women. Also causes a lot of problems, and we're going to have, we're going to have some passages about that later on, too. Okay? But at the point where we are now, he's been working for this relative of his named Laban. Laban. And Laban is not a good guy. And we're going to see that in this chapter today. Laban is not a good guy. Laban is a user and a taker. And I don't know if you know anybody like that in your life. If you've ever had a close relationship with somebody who's just a user and a taker, and they see everybody as a source from which they can get something. And they have absolutely no thought of giving to anybody without getting in return and getting the better end of the deal. And he has no thought other than, how can I obligate this person to me? How can I rope this person into more and more service to me for my benefit? That's the kind of person that Laban is. But at a certain point, Jacob is more or less, he has fulfilled all of his obligations, and he wants to get out from under Laban's thumb. And that is where we enter our story today. And remember, don't just think of this as a man's story and a story about a guy and how he got out from under somebody's thumb. No. This is part of God's plan of salvation that all culminates in Jesus. Okay? Let's pray. Let's start reading the Word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for what it can teach us. Help us to put ourselves in these strange shoes, in this strange context... Show us how it relates to us today and how these events so long ago have even affected us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Starting in verse 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages, and I will pay them. 
Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? It's a very interesting thing, uh, a rhetorical question sort of that Jacob uh, asks there at the very end. When can I do something for my own household? Um, I, I, he's not a teenager at this point, far from it. He's middle-aged or older. Uh, but there's a little bit of that teenaged angst in what he says there. When, I, when can I do something for me? When can I do something for me? Uh, when, you're, uh, when you're obligated to somebody else, and even if you're employed by somebody else, or if you're under your parents' roof, at a certain point, your dreams stop becoming from this household, and they start becoming from the, the household that I want, the life that I want, the thing that I think I want to do with my life. What, am, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to have my own job. I'm going to have my own property. I'm going to have my own uh, pursuits and all of this. I'm going to have something for myself. And it's actually, uh, in some ways, it sounds very selfish. In another way, it's not selfish at all. In fact, God created you intending that you grow up, leave your parents, cleave with your spouse, and go out and establish your own Garden of Eden, your own place, your own kingdom, your own household. He intended that all people grow up, leave, establish roots, and make something with their life. Um, there's a place in the, in the New Testament, in one of Jesus' parables, where he talks about uh, this landowner, this wealthy person, who was going off on a journey, and he called three of his servants uh, in front of him, and he gave them resources. Uh, we, we call it the parable of the talents, and a talent is not something that you're good at doing. It's, it was a measure of gold is what it was, a weight of gold. He gave them talents. He gave them a certain number of resources, a certain amount of money. And he said, I'm going to go, and when I come back, I want to see what you've done with this. I want to see what you've done with this. And that is really what the, the Christian life is supposed to be like. God created you. And I don't know what you've got going for you, but you've got something going for you. You've got a brain. You've got hands. You've got some kind of actual talent, something that you can do, and even some education and some training. And God has given you all of these things so that at the end of your life, and in the parable, this master comes back and says, all right, show me what you did. And to one of them, he came and says, actually two of them, he said, they, they came and they said, we doubled it. We do. You gave me 10, and I've given you back now 20. I've doubled it. And then the master looks and says, now I'm proud of that right there. Put this guy in charge of 100. He's done a great job. And to the next guy, he said, you gave me five? Here's 10. Great job. Put this guy in charge of 50. Somethings. Put this guy in charge of a lot more. And then there was another guy, and the guy said, you gave me one. Here's your one. Why isn't it two? Why isn't it one and a half? Why isn't it 1.25? He said, well, I knew how stern you were, so I did nothing with it, lest I lose it. And the master said, oh, wicked and lazy? Take it from him and give it to the guy that has a bunch. He'll do something with it, and you get out of here. And in our lives, God has created us with a certain Amount of talent, brain, knowledge, skill, marketable skill. Get a marketable skill. Be able to do something that not everybody else can do, and you'll be valuable to the world. You're valuable to God just because of who you are. 
but to be valuable to the world if you can do something that not everybody can do. And at the end of your life, at the end of your life, what God wants is for you to come to him and say, this is the life I created. This is me. This is who I am. This is what I was able to do. This is my household. This is the ministry that I had in church. This is the journey that I walked with you. Here it is, Father. Here it is, Dad. Are you proud of me? And he'll say, yeah, I'm proud of you. You've labored all your life. Come here with me and let's rest. And then you have no idea what I'm about to put you in charge of. And that's really the promise of the Christian life. Prove yourself here. Make him proud. And then he will move you on to things that you never could have imagined in heaven. Jacob here is saying, I want to build a household. I want to build my own kingdom. I'm working for Laban day in and day out for 14 years now. I have nothing. He has everything. I've got my wife and my kids, but other tangibles, things like that. All the labor that I have done has gone for somebody else. Have you ever worked for a business, maybe a small business, business especially, and after a while you said, I can do the job better than the boss. I could run this place better than my boss. I'm tired of me working hard and that person reaping all the benefit from it. I should at least get a healthy raise. And that frustration, that's what Jacob is feeling here. He's feeling a family obligation that he can't get away from and a boss who takes all the benefit from what he has done. Laban is a person who had flocks and herds before, couldn't do anything with it. And then comes Jacob, and it grows exponentially. Under his care, can't he have at least one ram and you for himself? But he's got nothing. When may I do something for my own household, Laban? All right, let's keep reading. How would, you, how would you expect Laban to respond? He's a user and a taker. How would you expect him to respond? Look at verse 31. 40, 31. What shall I give you? He asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing, and I think he says, don't give me anything. I've earned it all. Don't give me anything. I've earned it all. Anyway, he says, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. All right, I'll give you a little bit more service. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. Agreed? Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. Well, that was a pretty easy agreement there. Maybe a little too easy. Maybe a little scary there how easily uh, Laban um, uh, agreed to that. Now, I look through commentaries, and Jack, don't shake your head or anything here. I'm just, but take everything that I'm about to say with a grain of salt, okay? None of the commentaries I came across really talked about the significance of what Jacob chose here. So, I'm going to give you my take on it, and if it's wrong, Jack can tell you the right thing at the, 
at the end of service, okay? I think Jacob chose lambs that are, and goats and all that that not, that not everybody else valued. I think he chose second best because he thought, at least I, I probably can't get first best from Laban, I can probably get second best. If you've got a whole flock of sheep, uh, and sheep and goats are very similar, and they interbreed with each other, but they, they give wool. If you've got black sheep, those are valuable because you can make one color clothing out of them. And if you've got white sheep, those are valuable because they're one color and you can dye them any color you want. Tweed hasn't been invented yet. So Jacob says, I'll take the speckled spotted, the multicolored ones. And I think he's going to take them for two reasons. Okay, And no theologian seems to be any kind of animal husbandry uh, major. So I think that there, there may be something to this, but again, take it as a grain of, with a grain of salt. The wool is not as valued because you can't dye it, or you could only dark it, uh, dye it much darker than what it is, but it still will not end up looking like one pure uh, f- piece of fabric of one color. Okay, So the wool is going to have a little less value, but the animals are going to be stronger. Why? In, in animal husbandry, purebred animals, purebred animals give consistent characteristics. They're always going to have the same color. You can, you can more or less guess what the color or, or whatever or all the other characteristics about them. Okay? But purebred animals, because of the interbreeding with each other, they become genetically a, a bit weaker. They, they become a bit weaker. Okay? There are certain dog breeds, especially, that their, their bloodline is extremely pure and they don't live as long as a common mutt. That's, that's uh, Heinz 57 of all kinds of, uh, of genetic input. Okay? And most crossbred animals, most crossbred animals, they come out with unpredictable characteristics, but they're less susceptible to disease and, and they, can, they can often have the benefits of the two breeds that, were, that they were bred to. And I think that Jacob has been uh, taking care of sheep long enough that he sees some of that going on, some of that going on. And so he looks for the genetically strong ones here. Take that with a grain of salt. Take that for what you want it to be, okay? But I think he's saying, I think that this is what I can get. I think that this is what I can get from Laban, and they'll be mine, all right? And, and Laban agrees to it. Let's go to verse 35 and see just how, just how well Laban agreed to this deal. That same day, he, Laban, removed all the goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. So Laban cheated him. Laban said, I'll agree to those wages, and then he took all the money and put it in an offshore account. So it can't be seen, it can't be found. Jacob can't accuse him of anything because Laban will just say, I don't see them, where are they? Where are all the, where are you? Take whatever spotted goat you see around. Oh, you don't see any? Well, that was the agreement. <laughs> okay, that's the kind of person that Laban is. Now, we're going to go on, we're going to go on to the next section here, but there are two plays on words, or two, two plays on words kind of things that I, I want you to, know about. First of all, how would Jacob feel? He is fuming. He is white hot with rage. He he is hot under the collar. He is red-faced, okay? 
because he has been cheated by family. All right? Secondly, you should know something. Laban's name means white. Laban's name means white. Okay? Let's start reading and see if you can find the pun in here. Okay? The play on words. Verse 37. Jacob, however, took fresh cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white strips on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves and made the, made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would, put, would place the uh, branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones went to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Is that weird? Is that weird? Is that a strange passage? Is that a, is that, are you looking at that saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to read that again, but still, I don't understand it. What in the world is going on here? I used to kind of think that uh, Jacob was doing some sort of superstitious magic trick or something like that. Uh, in the, but I actually have started this, this past week to see it differently. In the Old Testament, sometimes the prophets were commanded to do sort of strange things, sort of strange gestures, or act out certain things that were a little bit strange, but it became a sort of a picture of what God was about to do. So sometimes their prophecies were just words. Sometimes their prophecies were actions. Okay? And Jacob is a prophet, in, in, of a, in a sense. And I think what, what's going on here is he is white, hot with rage. The lambs are coming into heat. He is already hot under the collar. And he says, Laban, white, you have stripped me bare. And so I'm going to make some white strips myself. And I'm going to strip the white. I'm going to strip Laban of his wealth. And so it's a sort of a prophecy that he acts out. And he takes these things and he says, and I believe not as a magic trick, but in full faith in what God is about to do for him, he puts all of these things out and puts the strong ones here and the weak ones over there. Those, those can be his. And I'm going to put all the strong ones here. And we're about to see what God is going to do to me, for me. Laban has sought to steal from me, to take from me, to subtract from me. But this entire chapter, all of chapter 30, is about how God is adding to Jacob. The first half, which we preached many months ago, was about God adding sons, family, wives, all of that to Jacob. Now he's going to add to Jacob possessions before he sends him back to the land of Canaan. Okay? God is adding to Jacob. And as a prophecy, the white gets stripped. Laban is about to be stripped of wealth and possessions, just like Jacob has been cheated out of them all this time. All right. What does this mean for all of us? What does this mean for all of us? 
God loves you. And if you're a Christ follower, he has called you according to his purposes. And the callings of God are not revoked. And the blessings of God in Christ cannot be stolen away. But I can promise you, the world is a bunch of users who would take from you as much as they possibly could. Even while you serve them with a good heart, they will seek to take from you. Evil, wicked people are like that. Some evil, wicked people in the world will do that to you. And you have probably felt like the world just takes from you all the time. I promise you, God adds to us. He adds salvation, redemption, and blessings in heaven and on earth for us. Whatever the world steals from you, God is interested in giving it back to you. I also want to point out that Moses wrote this. Moses wrote this. And Moses didn't write it because it's good history that everybody needs to know. He wrote it for that reason, but he wrote it for other reasons too. The the children of Israel, and this is the story of Israel that they're reading, has so many parallels with their ancestor, and Moses is pointing it out. Here we were in the land of Canaan, and we fled. We didn't flee north to Padanaram. We fled south to Egypt. And actually, when the children of Israel first arrived in Egypt, a very welcoming Pharaoh came and said, please, please, come be among us. Just like Laban said, hey, you're, uh, you're related to me? Please, come, be a part of my household. Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen, just like Laban gave him Rachel and Leah. And Egypt prospered because of the, pres- the presence of the people of Israel, just like Laban prospered because of the presence of Jacob. But at a certain point, things turned. And the Pharaoh was no longer kind to the people of Israel. He became mean, and he became a user, and he became a taker, just like Laban became a mean user and taker. And just like here, God is adding children to Jacob in Egypt. What happened? They reproduced prolifically in Egypt to the point that the Pharaoh got scared about how many of them there were. And just like Jacob is going to be taken out of, of the land of Haran where Laban is with a great many more possessions than he arrived there with, what happened at the Exodus? They plundered the Egyptians. They plundered quite peacefully. After God had visited plague upon plague over them, the people of Egypt were scared to death of the ones that were called by God. And the, the, this is how the, the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. Can I have your stuff? Yes, please take it. Just get out of here. And they left with incredible wealth, incredible amounts of gold, silver, bronze, precious fabric, so they could make a tabernacle for God out in the wilderness. Incredible what they left with. All right. And remember, it also all points to Jesus. Jesus comes into our world. And at first, at least for some, they were very glad he was there. He could multiply food. He could heal the sick. Everybody liked what this guy could do for them. They were benefiting greatly from him. But at a certain point in the world, they turned 
we turned on Jesus. No longer so welcoming, no longer so kind, no longer so tolerant of this one that we know is here to bless us. And instead, he is cheated. His life is taken from him. But just like God turned the tables on Laban, turned the tables on Egypt, he turned the tables on the world. And here comes Jesus, resurrecting, establishing a kingdom so big they can't even fathom it. Your walls, your armies cannot keep the kingdom of God out. His kingdom is growing and growing and growing all the time. And one of these days, he will harvest from the world everything that is his. And the world will be left penniless, no worth. Do you see how it all points to Jesus? You're on the winning side. If you're a Christ follower, there are users and takers in the world. You're supposed to be a generous servant. Do you feel like your generosity is not appreciated Do you feel like there are people that are just trying to bleed you dry? I promise there are. But don't worry. There is a judge in heaven who looks at you, and he knows your labor, and he knows what you've earned, and he promises forgiveness, salvation, redemption, and to add to you everything the world has taken away. Keep serving. Keep your optimism Don't grow weary in doing good. In due time, you'll reap the reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you that you show us here just how you do it. So, Lord, keep us optimistic, keep us on the right path, keep us encouraged. And every time we lose, help us to just see a glimpse of what we're gaining back in the end. We thank you for Jesus. Everything was taken from him. Everybody turned their back on him. And yet one day, every knee will bow before him. And everything belongs to him. Father, let us be a servant in your household. There are so many benefits to following you. Help us to be people of gratitude and thankfulness and faith as we walk this world with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. You are dismissed. Good to see you this morning. Say hi to some people on your way out.